1: Squared. Jesse, are you ready for rapid fire? I have been waiting all day. <laughs> Let's do it. Scale of one to ten. What chance do you give a Notre Dame player other than Joe Walt to be drafted
2: in the first round next year? Um, I'm gonna go a five out of ten because I think it's like a fifty fifty uh chance. I think that some of the strong contenders are obviously Sam Hartman, but that is contingent on what he does um, this season. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's a boomer bust season for him. And he's only going to help his draft stock depending on how he plays and more of a, you know, pro style NFL friendly type offense. Um, And then I think another person, we were talking about this a little bit in the pyramid uh, on Tuesday, I think Blake Fisher has the the body uh, and the, you know, what an NFL tackle should look like, but can he, you know, step up and, and, you know, live up to the, to his body frame, essentially. Can he play, like An NFL offensive lineman because he's got the NFL type body, so t- for me, those are the two guys that I think have the best chance outside of Joe Alt, uh, to go in the first round next year. And I think between the two, I- I'd put it at like a five or six out of ten, so right around 50 60 percent is what I would give it, kind of a toss up, in my opinion. Yeah, and that's you know, Fisher, I think, is the next logical choice
1: because when you look at the tandem, you know, last year they were considered. The, you know the best young you know sophomore tackle tandem in the nation and now they're going into their junior seasons alt definitely had the bigger rise than Fisher, but like just today, each of them were named Athlon All-Americans, along with Benjamin Morrison, of course. Those are the three who are getting you know like Morrison, Alt, Alt Morrison, whichever count, you know, whichever order that you want to go in, maybe you put Alt ahead because he's draft eligible this year and Morrison isn't. But it's like those two are the top ones that it seems like are grabbing the national attention right now, and then Fisher right after them. I think Fisher's going to have a really good chance. Right tackles obviously typically don't get the love that the left tackles have, but I I think that Fisher has a really good chance to play himself into there. The number, I, I might bump it just a little bit higher because Hartman and Fisher are the two that I'm thinking about, and the thing with Hartman, even though he's sticking around for a sixth year, like, because of the fact he is a quarterback, other quarterbacks are going to find themselves in the, you know, like, quarterbacks that people aren't talking about right now are going to find themselves in that conversation, what, a little bit less than a year from now at, at this point, because the, you know, we're, we're, what, about a month past the draft now at this point. But I think Sam Hartman has a really good shot of working his way in there. The average is right around three first round quarterbacks drafted per year. So, you know, you're going to have Drake May, you're going to have Caleb Williams in whatever order, as we were just talking about, Probably, I would put Caleb Williams definitely ahead of Drake May, but I think Hartman has a really good chance to find himself in that conversation next year. And because you've got Fisher and you've got Hartman, I'll bump it up to a little bit better than 50-50 at a six that someone other than Alt gets drafted in the first round for the Irish.
2: You know, it's crazy. I'm I uh I was looking at like um just like some early projections for the draft next year. And it's obviously way too early. But would you believe me if I told you this website has 14 quarterbacks ahead of Sam Hartman for best quarterbacks in the draft next year. Really? That's 14 quarterbacks. Yeah. That's Tamon Ward from Washington State, Jaden Daniels. Uh, from LSU, um, Riley Leonard from Duke, um, JJ McCarthy, Spencer Rattler, Shadur Sanders, Joe Milton, Bo Nicks, Quinn, I Quinn. The biggest, the, the biggest guys question are proven to me, the biggest
1: it, Hartman is proven, but the biggest question that he has to answer is can he play in a different system? Can he play in a pro style? more traditional system than that slow mesh that he's coming out of at Wake Force. That's the question that he has to answer. If 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 he can produce in Notre Dame's system, I think he's got a really good chance to be, you know, if not a first rounder, you know, at least a second round type guy next year. You know, like like he Will Levis. Like the guy who that... was talking about Will Levis a year
2: ago? You yeah. Know? It seems that um he's got the he's the guy that's got the most to prove essentially. Yeah. Yeah, and I think he's got the most. He has the most potential to gain. You know what I mean? Because of just what you were talking about, can he? Can he show that he's versatile and working in a, a different style of offense? Josh wants to know: Will well, all leave a year early? When's the last time an O
1: line player left early from Notre Dame? Well, a lot of those guys they didn't leave early because they had to. They had to continue to improve their stock. You know, to basically become, you know, even like the first round guys to, to get into that conversation. So they stuck around a year longer, you know, like Josh Patterson, if he was going to be a first round guy last or not Josh Patterson, Jarrett Patterson, if he was going to be a first round guy. He would have left last year. I mean, he stayed and he still, you know, still unfortunately wasn't a high round pick, but if, if Joe Alt at the end of the season is still being talked about as a first round guy, I've got no doubt. He's going to leave, especially with the dad who has the background that he has. And because it's it's Notre Dame, he'll be on pace to get his degree in in three years. Like, you know, they want them all to get their degrees in three years. So he would have his degree in hand. Potentially, there's no reason he won't leave if he's projected to be a first round pick. There's just way too much money on the line to stick around for another year and and risk, you know, injury and or even losing draft stock as opposed to improving it. You can't improve it enough. If you're projected to be a first round guy to come back for another year.
0: We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data,
1: So Notre Dame and NBC, of course, announced their kickoff times for home games this season. The Navy game in Dublin, which even though, of course, it's in Dublin, is still considered a Notre Dame home game. The Central Michigan game, they're both going to kick off at 2.30 p.m. Eastern time. The games against Tennessee State, Pittsburgh, and Wake Forest are going to kick off at 3.30. My question, which kickoff time do you prefer, 2.30
2: or 3.30? You know, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I really don't have a whole bunch of preference when it comes to (laughs) 2.30 or 3.30. And it's I don't have to be there. I don't have to watch the sunset. I don't have to, you know, see the days get uh, shorter as we get into the fall. Like, I am at home watching TV on Saturday for most games. And I think I would actually prefer the 3.30 game. Because usually there's a big game on at noon, and then I hit the 330 game with Notre Dame. And then at the end of that game, there's usually a, a primetime seven or eight game going on. So I like three thirty more so for the spacing of all the other games throughout the day. And I think that would be my leading logic on that.
1: See, but if you get it at 230, then yeah, you're not, not gonna gotta, convince me. You've got to jump on the 330 <laughs> games, and then you can watch the Notre Dame game and still watch the tail end. Of the 3.30 games, if you choose to do it that way, or you're flipping back and forth, like when halftime comes around, you can watch some of the, you know, part of the 3.30
2: game, go back to Notre Dame. Uh, 3.30 also allows me to get more done before 3.30. Personally, you know me. So what am I going to say? You're going to say 2.30 because you're a grouchy
1: old guy (laughs) and
2: you don't like to be at the stadium later than
1: you have to be. I'm always going to take the earlier games. Now, noon is pushing it. I would not take noon. 130. I I, I like the days when we still got 130 kickoffs personally. Now that was back when we weren't on daylight saving, you know, when Notre Dame were when Indiana didn't change the clocks. That's when we still got the 130 kickoffs. I think they all went to 230 basically when we started, you know, moved over to Eastern time permanently and, and started changing our clocks and all that kind of stuff. I the earlier the better. So I will always take the the 2.30 games. I am not vehemently opposed (laughs) to the 3.30 games. I mean, that's when, that's typically the afternoon window, when most of the other games are kicking off anyway, is at 3.30. So I'm not diabolically opposed to it. I know some people I've seen say they like the 3.30 because it gives them an extra hour of tailgating, which, (laughs) you know, that's, there's nothing wrong with that either, but I'll take 2.30, especially since they still don't, Sell any beverages inside the stadium. Now, again, that's not for me. I'm talking about for the tailgaters and stuff like that. Fill in the blank. It is blank that BYU, Nebraska, and Colorado are among FBS teams that are holding transfer portal camps where uncommitted players in the transfer portal can show up for a tryout.
2: It's a brilliant idea by BYU, Nebraska, and Colorado. Uh, they must have been listening to this show um, and and hearing us talk about how there should be some sort of transfer portal all star game. They just turned it into a camp and said, "Hey, you're still in the portal. You want a shot to play here? We're looking to add, especially Colorado, as many players as possible." I think it's a great idea. It's just like uh, it's the same concept as you know uh, walk ons that they they have at the beginning of the year. They hold a camp at whatever you know school you're at. Yeah. Uh, like Penn State when Eli Manning showed up uh that one time. But yeah, I just think it's a it's just a spinoff of you know a walk-on tryout essentially. But I think the players are better um potentially. And yeah, I, I just think it's a really good idea. And I think you're gonna see a lot more teams probably doing it going forward. I think these are the guys who are gonna be ahead of the pack and kind of be the, tr- the trailblazers of you know what what to do with the transfer portal.
1: The NCAA has released numbers, almost 40% of guys who enter the transfer portal over the last two years that they've had this did not end up at a new school, almost 40%. So like that's pushing half the guy, you know, just a little bit less than half the guys who enter the portal don't end up at a new school. And, you know, they've got to pay to go to these camps. Just like when, you know, the, when guys were in high school and you, you pay to go to these different camps and you show up and, you know, trying to get recruited and signed for the first time. This is exactly the reason they need some kind of collaborative showcase, like what we were talking about. You put together like one weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, whatever you put together, some kind of weekend showcase, like a combine, just like the NFL does. You bring all these guys in to a centralized location and then if you've got enough guys at each position you put together some kind of game and you have them play and you've got these coaches out there watching them you know why make them go to all these multiple camps all over the country if there're yeah. this many guys if there if nearly 40% are still unsigned at this point and probably right now it's even more than 40% i bet it's closer to half put together a centralized combine and do it that way rather than make them go to you know, camp after camp across the country trying to get somebody to sign them. It's the perfect excuse to do something like that. I agree. And just, heck, the NCAA is in Indianapolis. You know, it's their system. That, you know, they've they've set up this system. Do it just like the NFL. Just run it out of Lucas Oil. It's in the middle of the country. Do it down there. You, you can do a pro combine there. Do a college combine down there as well. I don't see why not. We kind of touched on this when we were talking to RJ a little bit ago. Penn State, Michigan State, they're going to play a primetime game on NBC on Black Friday at Ford Field in Detroit. So playing that game on that Friday at Ford Field also means that Michigan's state football championship games are going to have to be pushed back a day. They're going to have to play them Saturday, Sunday that weekend rather than Friday, Saturday. Do you buy or sell the move?
2: You know, I'm pretty indifferent uh on the move i i think overall you know we're talking about now there's an nfl game on black friday um there is going to be a college game now in the evening time on black friday like yeah i i i enjoy the fact that i'll have football to watch on black friday it's just another day of the week where i can you know chill out and watch uh football around the holidays but like the game itself michigan state and penn state i you know i i that, that doesn't like move the needle for me a big 10 game between Penn state and Michigan state. Like, might it be a, a halfway decent game? Sure. But it's not like one where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm absolutely jacked up. I need to watch this. It's not like mm-hmm. a Alabama and Auburn or like Alabama and Tennessee, or maybe like USC and Oregon or, you know, Clemson, North Carolina. It's not one of those games uh, for me. So I don't, I'm indifferent on it, but I'm glad that I have something to watch on black Friday while I'm kind of just chilling out and recovering from Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yes.
1: Recovering from all that eating on Thanksgiving. I mean, it's always nice to have a little football program going on, you know? So like, we're going to have jets dolphins at three in the afternoon for the NFL. And then just a little bit after that ends, you're going to have Michigan state Penn state. I won't mind having it on, you know, the reason they're moving this to Ford field is the stuff that again, we were talking about with RJ and what we were talking about earlier this week, all these Northern Big Ten schools are whining because, oh, it's cold in November in the Midwest and they don't want to play these night outdoor games. Newsflash, what happens if you make the college football playoff? Are you going to move it inside to a dome? You know, like we've talked about this before. (laughs) Are you going to move it into a dome or are you going to play it on your own campus where you've got a home field weather advantage? Like if you've got you know, one of these Southern schools coming up or, you know, a a Southern California school or whatever it happens to be. Be big boys and get outside. High school kids are playing outside. You know, now a lot of them, you know, are playing in these domes. I think it stinks that they're pushing these high school games back. They were already scheduled. You know, obviously nobody knows exactly who's going to be playing them in them at this point because they've got to earn their way there. But hopefully this is just a one-off deal. And the Penn States, Michigan States, you know, Ohio State, Michigans of the world can figure this out and, you know, pull, again, pull on their big boy pants and go, you know, it's, it's, it's okay if we play a night game outdoors in November. We know that Notre Dame has done it plenty of times before, so I, I don't know why there's such an aversion of the Big Ten to get outside in November and play a football game.
2: Yeah, it's a little bit surprising to me as well. It's like you, you, the majority of the Big Ten resides in the Midwest, and it's always cold in the Midwest in November and December. So like it, you have to be used to it at this point, right? So I'm on the same page. It seems like there's this rush to all of a sudden kind of <laughs> get indoors. So I think it's like mm-hmm. that's a that's a the Big Ten's like all right, well we're, we we got to play in primetime. We'll move one of these games inside and put it on a day where there's not a lot of other football. So it's like a win-win for them almost. Yeah,
1: from a programming standpoint, it's great. You know, I saw some Michigan State fans going, good, we don't have to go to a half-empty stadium in East Lansing. We'll go to Ford Field. The question is how many people will actually show up at Ford Field for that game. But, you know, I don't know. So I, I like the programming. The fact that it's at Ford Field, eh, take it or leave it. Fill in the blank. The most overhyped college football team this off is blank.
2: Who the most overhyped team this off season is blank? You know, I I'm gonna go one school from the ACC and one school from the SEC. Okay, SEC. I think Tennessee is mildly overrated considering that they haven't been very proven over the past you know, 10, 15 years, but they had a really good year last year. Hold um, off on your ACC team. Finish your thought on – I'll give my
1: ACC team. We'll see if it's the same. But you can continue with with Tennessee. Go ahead.
2: Yeah, so then Tennessee, I, I just – there's not a proven track record there. And I don't know if that – for for what they play in and what we've seen of them, I just think that it was a one off. Like I hope they can get back to it. Like I remember, what was that? Like mid two thousands. I want to say maybe even early two thousands when Notre Dame would play Tennessee, um, and it like Tennessee was good at that time. Like that, mm-hmm. I think that's kind of when we saw their decline was right after Phil Fulmer days. Yep. Yeah, and and I just not that I'm like a huge Tennessee fan, but I'm not rooting against them, and I'm not like overly actively like oh I want Tennessee to be good. But I think it's good for college football in the SEC when Tennessee. Is better, but I just think they're a little bit overhyped uh, going into this season. I I I agree. You know, I I I want to see them put together back to back
1: seasons. They're going to have a new quarterback this year. Um, the one that I'm going with is the one that uh, our friend Roger Dodger is voting. That was my for. ACC one. And I had a feeling that's who it would be, and I just Florida State. I I just. You know, it just feels like Texas, like every year we're told Texas is back, but they're never really back. And I realize that Florida state's coming off a double digit win season. They were 10 and three. They won the cheese It bowl. Okay. Best record since 2016, but you know, they play LSU again. They play Clemson again. That's in the first month in the season. They're going to play Miami and Florida. They lost to NC state last year and they play them again this year too. And you know, NC State's got Brennan Armstrong, so people are expecting them to be pretty good this year. Jordan Travis has gotten incrementally better each year, but he's still a career 61% passer. So I just have a hard time completely buying into, you know, all of a sudden this Florida State team, okay, now they're top 10. They're going to challenge for a college football playoff spot. I, I just think there's a lot for them still to prove. It's one thing to do it for one year, just like you were saying with Tennessee. It's another thing to do it in back-to-back years. I would agree. Yeah, and you know LSU getting a lot of hype. Do they deserve it? Uh, the, the BK breakdancing. You had me until BK breakdancing. I actually I think they're going to be a little bit
2: better up. this year. To be they honest, could be, the they could be
1: because their schedule is not that challenging.
2: You know, like that. Yeah. And I think that they're going to, uh, they have a quarterback with more experience. They have a, mm-hmm. a, a second year head coach. So obviously he's turning over, you know, his regime, his roster, his overall, how he runs a program, et cetera. I, I wouldn't be surprised if LSU is about the same or a little bit better next season. Mm-hmm. Yep, Salty Texas is back, back to playing below expectations. And that's
3: when you make decisions for your company, No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com, code program.
1: How about another team from Texas? TCU was 13-2 and two last year. Their Vegas over-under is 7.5 wins this season. So here's their schedule. We're going to predict the TCU schedule. They start with Colorado, a team that a lot of people have been talking about with too much hype right now. But, you know, I guess Deion Sanders will do that. So TCU starts with Colorado. Excuse me. Then they've got Nichols. They go to Houston. Then SMU in West Virginia at home at Iowa State, followed by BYU at Kansas State, at Texas Tech, Texas Baylor at Oklahoma. And now you notice Houston and... What was the other one? BYU, those are two of the new teams in the Big 12. The Big 12, they're not going to play everybody this year because they've added the four new schools. So there you see TCU's schedule this season over under seven and a half wins for the Horn Frogs.
2: Oh, man. These are – this is a tough one because it's like – I feel like every year the Big 12 is inconsistent. Like it's never – you never can go into it and say this team, these couple teams are gonna be pretty solid the entire year. I feel like there's maybe one team that consistently is pretty good and the rest is kind of a toss-up. Um, I guess we'll start with the first three. I, I seen them winning against Colorado, Nichols. I, I think they're gonna lose to Houston. I think I'm gonna throw that out there right now. Wouldn't be surprised. And that first chunk. So that puts them at two wins. Okay. I think they beat SMU. And then they they split between West Virginia and Iowa State, yeah. and so I think at, at this point we're at four and two. Four. And then between, I think they win against BYU, they lose against Kansas State, uh, and then they beat Texas Tech. So we're at six and three. Agreed. Um, And then towards the end, those last three games, I think Texas that, Baylor at Oklahoma. I think that they lose to Oklahoma.
1: Um, I think they and, lose two of those games.
2: Yeah. And so that's kind of where I'm at. I think that they lose two of those three games and probably beat Baylor and lose to Texas and Oklahoma. So, what that puts me at one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven, and five. Like it's right there. You know, I, I said it before, they're not going to be as good as they were last year. I think that Colorado game to start the season is going to be close. You know, they were trending to be a not great team last year and, and just kind of hit. You know, the the one of those times where you just hit the struck of the or the strike of lightning, you know, luck of the whatever it might be, they, they changed their trajectory, and I just don't see them doing that two seasons in a row. So I'm gonna go under on the seven and a half, and I think it's right at seven, seven and five. Yeah, I completely
1: agree with your your whole line of thinking there. That's I, I I'm I'm right there as well because you know it's year two for Sonny Dykes. And they were, they were flirting with disaster a few times. Like if Daniels, if Daniels doesn't get The amount of games
2: that they won in the, and towards the end, one possession, late comeback games. Like you can't do that every year and they don't have Max Duggan anymore. That's exactly right. Five of their
1: wins last year were, were single digit wins. The Baylor win was a one point last year. I believe it was, you know, Texas was close. And you know, like you, you look at even Oklahoma. TCU had lost eight straight to the Sooners. Oklahoma was down for most of the year before they rebounded late in the season. They ended up getting to the bowl, played Florida State, actually, in that Cheez-It Bowl. But they had lost 11 of 12 to Oklahoma. And I just, I can't see them putting together anywhere close to what they put together. I was surprised that the the over-under is actually as low as it is at 7.5, but again, when you go through that schedule and you look at what things are going to look like, and not only did they lose Duggan, you know they lost Quentin Johnson, they lost Ladanian Tomlinson's son, uh, Travius Hodges Tomlinson, who was an All American corner last year, you know, so there's a lot of talent from that college football playoff team that they lose, and so yeah, I completely agree. I I, I see them sitting right there at seven wins as well. I, I was I'm surprised we've done a few of the different predict the records this week I'm surprised how many unders that I've had already this season I don't know if I'm just being pessimistic
2: or what but I have a a bonus question for you okay hit me scale of one to ten how surprised were you that Notre Dame baseball lost to the worst team in the ACC tournament with their season on the line and I'm glad you brought it
1: up because I meant to include a baseball question and then I forgot you know and then you were busy so I didn't want to add it I was shocked. Aiden Terrell just didn't look good. He got all in, conference, too. I know. I know. He gave up a leadoff home run, ended up giving up three bombs in four innings to Pittsburgh. And Pitt is the number 12 seed. And it really stews Notre Dame. They have they have no path out of pool play now. They play Wake Forest. Yeah, because Forest.
2: the tie record, the automatic right. seed ahead of you advances and Wake Forest. Even they beat Wake Forest. They're, Wake Forest is the number one overall, so a tie record, exactly. Wake Forest is moving on. Exactly. I and guess I was just sh- – I, I, I was honestly shocked because, you know, going into that last week, they needed to win a lot of games. They lose to Northwestern. They, they lose two of three to Boston College, and it's like, okay, well, we can maybe reset here. We're in the ACC tournament. All we need to do is – I was texting you. It's a blessing in disguise getting Wake Forest because in this new format, it's pool play. Well, if you get the number one seed, then you're getting the worst seed in the whole tournament. So the the idea right. or the thought process has to be you get okay. The worst yes, and we the got best, Wake Forest, and but we should at least middle. be able to beat Pittsburgh and mm-hmm. then have our chances and roll the dice against Wake Forest. I just can't believe that they didn't handle business against Pittsburgh like that. I think it's especially you know, with everyone knew what the stakes were. Right? You, you can't. You had you can't, to win that can't game. Win that or lose that yep. game against Pittsburgh. I give them an outside
1: chance. Like if they can beat Wake Forest. They're going to have to wait and and hope there aren't a lot of bid stealers this weekend. You know, the conference tournaments are going on right now, and the selection show is going to be Monday, Memorial Day, but they, they, they absolutely have to beat Wake Forest Friday night now at this point. They've got to beat Wake Forest because that would at least give them one quality win coming out of this thing. Again, they're not going to advance out of pool play, but if they beat Wake Forest, it's a win over the number one team in the country, and it gives them... A shot, but at this point they've lost four out of five, and you've lost to, you know, Northwestern <sighs> and Pittsburgh. Who both have RPIs in the seventies. Lost so, to Michigan State twice. Yeah, it's just not looking good right now. It reminds me a little bit of Dave Schrag's 2018. team. They were sitting with a couple weeks to go in the regular season. They were in position to host a regional that year and then all of a sudden they just couldn't win a game they just against anybody they just started losing the last couple of weeks of season things spun out of control and not only did they not host they didn't make the tournament at all and you know again Notre Dame's lost four out of five and two of those losses are to not good teams so I guess
2: that's what's just so shocking is like did they put too much pressure on themselves you know were they thinking about winning at all costs rather than just going out and playing how they're supposed to. Yeah. Cause then even Radek Burkholz
1: came in and he's been a quality arm for them here down the stretch. And he gave up a couple home runs to Pittsburgh yesterday as well. So it just, it seems
2: like Pittsburgh was the one actually playing for their lives, except, you know, Nerding yep. wasn't.
1: Yep. Exactly. So they'll finish off the ACC tournament seven o'clock tomorrow night in Durham. And then, you know, again, if, if they beat Wake Forest, I at least give them a shot at getting a bid because but but they are they were going into yesterday according to some of the projections among the last 4 in. Like they had fallen to last 4 in, but losing to Pittsburgh probably puts them into that, you know, at the top of the first 4
2: out. Oh out wow, so you you're saying they were the first 4 in before losing to Pittsburgh. Right. Oh, I wish you wouldn't have told me that. It makes it hurt even more. Yep. Exactly. Exactly.
1: All right. Well, that's going to do it for today. We appreciate you as always. And if you were here from the beginning, appreciate you uh, (laughs) working through some of the technical stuff we had with RJ. But once we got going, RJ had some good information on USC, of course, and always good with Jesse. Jesse and I will be back at five o'clock tomorrow for the rapid fire Friday show. So we'll talk to you then smash that like button on your way out roger dodger we appreciate you for stopping in today even with that trojan man that's rivalry
2: love from roger (laughs) dodger he didn't have to say that
1: (laughs) appreciate it hit the like button and of course subscribe right oh you know what i forgot one question that we had from uh shy town which stires would win a game of horse um this is not even close jesse would smoke me i think (laughs) he's He's the, he's the Cleveland YMCA
2: baller, so uh, I've got no something chance. Something like that. We we played a, a 10 o'clock game last night. I think that's why I'm so cranky today. We were on a West Coast trip playing at 10 o'clock last night at the YMCA, and we can't guard the perimeter three, so if anyone's got some defensive schemes to how to guard perimeter threes, please let me know. You might have we, to get Tommy over there. See if Tommy
1: can get the, uh, get the legs out. Yeah. <laughs> Horseshoes. Uh, we haven't played horseshoes around here in a long time. We, you know, we might with that mound we've got in the backyard. Maybe we need to set up some horseshoes back there. That'd be Start a good utilizing thing utilizing it. That's right. All right. We will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. IB Nation Sports Talk.